Well, good morning, church. Uh, thank you. When, uh, when you preach a standalone sermon, you don't get the bumper video, so it would be weird to have like the Ephesians bumper video if I'm not preaching through Ephesians. Um, <laughs> it, it really is an honor and a privilege to be here with you this morning. Uh, Josh is on his annual trip with the Soldiers for Jesus Club, and uh, I'm blessed to be able to fill in for him while he is gone. For those of you who don't know me, if we haven't met yet, my name is Stephen Obert. I'm the youth director here at Disciples Church. I'm also one of the teaching team members. So, uh, Again, I'm excited to be able to preach this morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to grab them out and open them up to the book of Colossians. We're going to spend time in that book this morning. Uh, What what we'll do first is we're going to read the context leading up to the primary verses that I intend to teach on. Now, while you're opening up to Colossians, I'm going to give you just a brief introduction to this letter. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Colossae, which, uh, for today's context, would have been where modern-day Turkey is. He is in prison at the time of the writing, And he receives news that there is some false teaching happening in the church and and in and around the city. And so there's a lot of different speculation on what those false teachings are, but Paul doesn't actually expressly state the false teaching. Foundational theology. And what we see Paul do is teach correctly to the church who Jesus was and what Jesus had done. This foundational teaching was Paul's way of correcting any false teachings in the church. Now, the students have uh, heard this illustration because we've been preaching through Colossians Sunday mornings with them, uh, but it's such a helpful illustration, they're going to have to bear with it one more time with me. You good with that, guys? Okay, good. I figured you would be. Um, Most of my childhood, my mom was a bank manager. Uh, So I got to spend a lot of time at the bank. I got to spend a lot of time watching her do her work. I got to shred checkbooks. One of the things that I really enjoyed was watching my mom count money. Uh, It it was amazing to watch her do it. She would have a massive stack of bills, and she'd just count them, and you'd just see her fingers moving really fast. And I didn't even know how she kept count in her head. Her hand was moving so fast. Just It was before money-counting machines. You know, so they actually did all that by hand. And uh, one day I remember watching my mom count money at her desk. I'm, I'm not sitting next to her, by the way. I'm like off in the people area. I wasn't allowed to be back there with the money. Probably a good idea. Uh, but I'm watching her count money, and I just see her nonchalantly stick this bill away from the pile. And what was that about? And she said, well, that was a, a fake dollar bill. It was counterfeit. So then I asked her to like, explain that to me, because at the point in time, I didn't know people actually made fake money. Uh, and after she explained it, I said, well, how did you know? She wasn't looking at the dollars. She was almost staring off in space, doing this. And she said, well, I've been counting money so long that I could feel it. I don't, I don't have to look at it. I know a fake bill because I'm so familiar with what the real bills feel like. Church, we could learn from this. Just as Paul taught these foundational truths to the church in Colossae, we ought to study, learn, and know the truth revealed to us in Scripture so much that it becomes a familiarity so ingrained that we can easily spot false teaching. 
This is one of the reasons why we do our midweek service here at Disciples Church. Uh, We teach through the catechism. We're teaching foundational truths about God to equip you to see false teaching, to know error. We long for our body to grow in foundational biblical truth in such a way that they would know false teaching and turn from it. So with that, let's pray, and then we'll dive into our Colossians passage. Father, thank you for this day, this day that you've ordained, that we as a body can join together to pray together, to sing your praises, to study your word. As we dig into our Colossians passage this morning, Lord, would you help us to not just see, but really be filled with an awe for Jesus and for what Paul is going to explain about him in these verses. We pray for wisdom and discernment that we would rightly know you, that we would honor your word. We thank you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. You can follow along in your Bible with me. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, I want to point out just a few key things in the passage before we dig into the primary text. Paul is clearly writing to believers in Colossae. He uses the term faithful saints. He is praying for and sharing his joy in the unity that these believers have with him in Christ Jesus, in the gospel good news, that they believed and had been taught rightly, taught in truth. He prays that they would be filled with all the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and understanding, that it would cause them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He doesn't just want them to have head knowledge. He wants this knowledge to affect their hearts in such a way that they would live differently in light of it. 
Now, after encouraging and praying for them to be strengthened according to the mighty hand of God, he reminds them of who they are in Christ. He reminds them that salvation is of and from God alone. He tells them that it is God who qualified them that salvation, sorry, that is God who qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints, and that it is God who has transferred them into the kingdom of Jesus, and that it is only through Jesus that they have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Church, those are, are beautiful truths. So I just couldn't read them and pass on without drawing them out a bit. And something that we have to remember is that these truths apply to us today. If you are trusting in Christ Jesus, it is because God has granted you to be a member of this family. Jesus is also not just our Savior, but he's our Lord. We live in Christ's kingdom, church. He is in control of all things. And in a time like this where the world seems to be falling apart, this is a truth that we must cling to. With that, let's turn to see what else is declared about Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be Preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. There are so many amazing truths about who Jesus is and what he has done about his authority, his rule, his preeminence, his reconciliation, his deity, all packed right here in this little section of Scripture. And so what I, what I aim to do with the rest of our time this morning is to look at each verse and just marvel with you at our great Lord. So let's take this passage apart verse by verse, and then I'll help make some of these connections that are needed And we'll worship Christ Jesus together as we consider, in a deeper way, who he is and what he's done. Look back at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is eternally God. And at a point in time, Jesus took on a human nature and became a man. To be clear, he never set down his divine nature. Jesus now possesses two distinct natures united together in his personhood. This is called the hypostatic union. There are not two Jesuses with two natures. 
There are not one Jesus with like 50% of different natures combining to make him whole. There is only one Jesus, and the person of Jesus possesses two full and complete natures. One of those natures is deity, and one is human. The hypostatic union, as defined by our Word of Truth Catechism, reads this way. Jesus Christ's eternal, fully divine nature, being united to his fully human nature at his incarnation. These two natures are not mixed, confused, or changed, but are united without loss of separate identity, and they are inseparable. You see, because Jesus is one person, when he took on a human nature, we say that both his divine nature and his human nature are united because he, being one person, possesses them both. These natures are inseparable because Christ Jesus will always possess both of them. The historic confession of faith says this about the hypostatic union. The Son of God, the second person in the Holy Trinity, being very and eternal God, the brightness of the Father's glory, of one substance and equal with him who made the world, who upholds and governs all things he has made, did, when the fullness of time was complete, take upon him man's nature, with all the essential properties and common infirmities of it, yet without sin. Being conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the Holy Spirit coming down upon her and the power of the Most High overshadowing her, and so was made of a woman of the tribe of Judah, of the seed of Abraham and David, according to the Scriptures, so that two whole, perfect, and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person, without conversion, composition, or confusion. Which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. You see, in the person of Christ, these natures are unified because Jesus is the one person who possesses both of them. These two natures are not mixed, they're not confused, they aren't changed, but they are united without loss of separate identity, and they are inseparable. Jesus will always, from the incarnation forward, possess both of these natures. Since the person of Christ has both a divine nature, which is spirit, and a human nature, which is flesh and soul, he displays God to us in a unique and amazing way that no other person in history can or will. Oftentimes when we think about the hypostatic union, it can cause confusion. It's a complicated topic. We don't really have anything in our world that we can compare it to. But really... It should, when we are able to understand it well, cause us to well up in worship. Church, God the Son is amazing in how he has entered into humanity uniquely and revealed God to us. It's an amazingly humble thing for him to have done. It was also a very necessary thing for our salvation, and it is an awesome display of God's glory if Jesus had not taken on a human nature and stood in our place, we would have no hope of salvation. 
Now, I, I was blessed to be able to teach on the hypostatic union in our midweek lessons back in April. In fact, I think it was like the first series that I had to do to a camera, which was totally awkward. Uh, I would have much rather had all of you here to do that. So uh, if you missed that and you'd like to know more about the hypostatic union, then I'd encourage you to talk to your midweek group leader and ask them for that lesson. So I want to continue now with a part of this verse that's oftentimes uh, misunderstood. In fact, uh, it really is one of the verses that have caused a lot of false religions. The second part of this verse says, The firstborn... Of all creation. When this passage declares that Jesus is the firstborn, it is not referring to the divine nature of Jesus having a beginning. No, God the Son is eternal, having existed eternally before time even began. Something that is extremely important for us to remember when we read Scripture is the context of the letter and the language of the time that it was written in. Now, I don't mean you have to understand Greek to understand Scripture. Um, But what I am saying is that you would need to know what the term firstborn meant in the culture of the time that the letter was written. What I mean is that Jesus is referred to as firstborn in this verse, and it is a matter of status, not a literal matter of having a beginning. When Jesus is referred to as firstborn, it is talking about the position that he has. In this culture during this time, the firstborn son was given certain rights and privileges. This was especially important in a monarchical family. The the firstborn of a monarch, a a king, would inherit the sovereign rule of the monarch. When we consider what Paul is declaring about Jesus in these passages, we see this title given to imply that he is the rightful ruler and inheritor of all creation. Everything is his. Now we see that more clearly defined in terms that we are more familiar with in the following verses that we'll read. But I don't want you guys to miss how important this declaration and title is when Paul applies it to Jesus. Again, it's important for you, the believer, to understand rightly because many false religions have come from a misunderstanding of this term, firstborn. So I want to take a second to be just extra clear. Jesus has always existed as the second person of the triune God. He did not have a beginning. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, we see John declare this when he parallels the beginning of his Gospel with the beginning of Genesis. In John, chapter 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word. If we continue reading, we learn that that Word was Jesus. In the book of Genesis, it begins, In the beginning, God. That was not on accident. That in the beginning means before time. It doesn't mean Jesus or God had a beginning. It means as far back as you can go was God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Because God is our true source 
of truth, then what we know is that his word will not contradict itself. When we see something that we may think to be a contradiction, we need to realize that it is our understanding that is off and not the scripture. And then we must search to correct our understanding. So, already in this verse, we see that Jesus is God. We see that he has uniquely made the invisible God known to us in his visible flesh. And he is the heir, the uh, inheritor, the rightful ruler, owner, possessor of all creation. He is before creation in status and therefore sovereign over it. So let's continue with our next verse, verse 16. For by him all things were created. Just a a brief note. If all things were created by him, then he must have pre-existed all things, right? Just to help bolster my last point. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the creator. All things were created by Jesus. This would obviously mean that he had to come before all creation, and it would also then reveal that he had no beginning. In fact, Paul clarifies what he means by all things in the verse. He says, all things in heaven and on earth, all things visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created by Jesus. Now what we also know is that Scripture ascribes the work of creation to each person of the Trinity, and rightly so, as the triune God is united in his will and his divine work. However, in our verse here, there's a special emphasis on Jesus and his role in creating all things. There is nothing in existence outside of the God who has always existed that was not created by Jesus. We even see here in the passage the fallen angels or demons were created by Jesus. When they were created, they were not evil. They fell after they were created. But they exist, they are here because Jesus himself made them. He made all things. Church, this is why even the demons believe in Jesus and shudder. Paul is making it very clear here that nothing exists that was not created by Jesus. All things were created through him and for him. You see, the creator of all things also owns all that he has created. Every single created thing, spiritual and physical, all of it was created by Jesus and for Jesus. Christian, this is why we live for Christ Jesus. We are his, and and we get to enjoy that reality and honor him in all that we do. Jesus is the goal of creation. His purpose for creating it was to bring him glory in and through all of it. Our next verse, verse 17, declares, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
This personally for me is one of the most amazing ways that I see the beauty of the wisdom and power and grace of God. Jesus holds all things together. He is actively sustaining the world, the planets, the stars, the heart in your chest that's pumping right now. He's sustaining all of that. Even the rebellious and wicked are being sustained by Jesus this very moment. He has a purpose for everything. All of it will bring him glory as he returns to judge the world. Do you see the wisdom of God in this? Can you see the the depths of the grace of God to sustain us even when we were in wicked rebellion against him? When you and I were trying to be the gods of our own life, he was sustaining you. Church, when Jesus' human nature hung on the cross, His divine nature sustained the wood and the nails so that they remained there while he hung in torture. Can you see the depths of God's grace in this? He could have stopped all of it in an instant, but for the glory of God and for the good of his elect, he sustained it even while he suffered the pain of it being Sustained. My favorite verse that speaks of Jesus' constant sustaining is found in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the beginning of that verse says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. This reality is amazing and convicting. When I'm struggling with sin and temptation, even given all that I know about Jesus and what he has done for me, he upholds me even then when I fail. He is so gracious. It is hard to comprehend at times. There is no other person, no other thing, that has Jesus' authority and power. Nothing else holds us together. It is Christ alone who does this. Think about this. Every time you sit in a chair, I know that might seem like an odd turn, right? But every time you sit down in your chair, you don't inspect it to make sure it's going to hold you up. You just assume it'll do what it's always done. When you guys came in this morning, none of you were checking them to make sure that they could withstand your weight. You just came in, you found your spot, and you sat down. You don't check it because Jesus holds the universe together by the word of his power. The uniformity of nature that makes true science possible only exists because Jesus is actively holding it together constantly. Here's one of my favorite illustrations of this reality. Our planet is orbiting around the sun at around 67,000 miles per hour. 
That's a mock speed of 87.32. The number keeps going, but I figured that was a good enough point. Our, our planet is massive. It's flying through space at an incredible speed, and yet every morning when you and I wake up groggy and tired, we don't reach for the bed to make sure we're not going to get flung off this rock, right? While our planet orbits at Mach 87, it is also spinning at approximately 1,000 miles per hour. Now, this all has little effect on gravity. The gravity that we experience is due to the mass of our planet, However, when you consider its mass and the speed that it is flying through space and spinning at the same time, you must realize that it continues in this exact course because Jesus is actively holding it together. That's simply stunning. You don't have to reach for your bed in the morning because Christ is sustaining this world. He's sustaining you. I don't know about you, but when I find it hard to be thankful for something, all I need to do is to consider the sustaining work of Christ, and it simply fills me with awe for our great God. Verse 18 reads, And he is the head of the body, the church. Understanding this rightly fills me with even more awe. The church would not exist if it were not for Jesus. No one would be saved into the church if not for the work of Christ on our behalf. He is the head of the church because he is Lord and Savior. He is the founder and the filler of the church. Christian, every time a brother or sister in Christ has blessed you, Thank the head of the body, without whom there would be no body, no brother or sister in Christ. Who could create such a diverse and beautiful body that provides and prays for and sacrifices for each other? God is so amazing to give us this great gift to unite us through his blood. The pastors speak often of our blood-bought family. It is such a joy to be a part of this blood-bought family. I have no idea where I would be or who I would be without you. One of the greatest blessings in my life. And it's all because of Jesus. We could not have done this on our own. We must thank Jesus for his work and we must remember him. Every time you are blessed or are a blessing to his body, the church. Remember him, the head of the church. It is good to be a blood-bought member of this family. Verse 18 continues. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Uh, I remember a time at our old campus on Olive Drive, uh, and it might actually have been when Josh taught through Colossians. Um, One of my old high school students came up to me, and, and she's still a member here today, and she asked me after the sermon what this meant. It was the same kind of misunderstanding. If, if he eternally existed, then what does this mean that he's the firstborn from among the dead? And at first, as she's reading the passage to me, I'm, I'm going, 
ooh, I, I might have to like, I might have to answer her later. I'm not sure if I'm hearing what I'm hearing right. Um, but by God's grace, I, I heard what she was asking, the passage that she was reading, and I was able to unpack it. I told her that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead because he is the first one to be resurrected with his eternal fleshly body. Many people passed before Christ, but were not and have not been physically raised from the dead yet. Jesus has been. He had to be the first so that, as in all other things, he would be preeminent. Preeminent defined means surpassing all others, very distinguished in some way. Jesus is preeminent in all things. There are simply none like him. Therefore, it is fitting that he also had to be the first to be resurrected and possess his eternal physical body. Jesus is physically sitting on the throne in heaven. When we pass, we will be with him. We will see him and see him in the flesh, but you and I will still be spirit until he returns and raises all to eternal life with our resurrected, glorified bodies. There is simply nothing that exists that is before Jesus. He is the head of the church. He is the first eternally resurrected human. He is the creator of all things. He holds all things together, and it is all for him. Jesus is preeminent in all things because he is uniquely the God-man. There is none exactly like him, and there never will be. One of the coolest things that I saw in my preparation for the sermon was the following verse that we're going to read in light of the end of verse 18. Remember, it's helpful when you are studying Scripture to recognize that the verse numbers were put in later. That's not a part of Scripture. And sometimes, unfortunately, they'll break up a thought and if you give too much weight to those numbers, you'll miss some things. Well, I did that in this particular passage until I began prepping for the sermon. Verse 19 reads, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Why is Jesus surpassing all others and very distinguished? Why is he preeminent in all things? Because he is both man and God. Verse 18 makes it so very clear that Jesus had a human nature, even to the point of explaining that he has his resurrected body now. He was the firstborn from among the dead. Then verse 19 also declares that Jesus is God. So here's what I want to do. We're going to read the last part of verse 18 and the beginning of verse 19 together without the verse numbers and the break. Uh, it should be up on the screen here in a second. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He is both man and God. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. He is the firstborn from the dead. Well, God cannot die. So we see that referring to his human nature. There's so much going on here, but the writer, remember, is laying some foundational truths about Christ in order to counteract or to correct this false teaching that was going on in and around the church. 
the matter of the hypostatic union is of great significance. It is what Paul is declaring that makes Jesus preeminent. Church, do you see the connection here between these verses? It is Jesus' unique person who possesses both a human and divine nature, not in parts. He was fully human, and the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. He is the firstborn from among the dead. These two natures are complete and are uniquely held by Jesus alone. This is also how Jesus is able to reconcile all things. Look at our next verse, verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, because the eternal divine Jesus took on a human nature, he was able to die in the place of sinners and be the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. Uh, And as a little side note, we're going to be studying that in our catechism lessons over the next month, so make sure you don't miss that. Because he is God, he was able to raise himself on the third day. Because he created all things, he is before all things. Because he created all things for himself, he is able to reconcile all things to himself. Church, God never fails. What God has set out to do, he is doing. He sustains all things through his power. He will be glorified in all things, things on earth, things in heaven, because they were made and are actively sustained by him for his glory. Now, uh, in our time this morning, I've addressed the church family, the Christian, the the blood-bought family, but I would really be remiss if I didn't take the opportunity to address those of you here who may not be in the eternal body made and headed by Jesus. The word reconcile here must draw our eyes to the fact that there is a debt, an imbalance in creation between God and man. This part that he he reconciles creation includes mankind. And we don't have to search the scriptures much to see the fall of man in the garden. We can even simply go to the verses that we've read today and see that there is something amiss in the world around us in the unbeliever. If God has created you for him, if God has sustained and is sustaining you now, but you are in rebellion and unrepentant of your sin, then you must hear this. You are not reconciled to God. Scripture is very clear on this topic. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18 and verse 23. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. 
and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 23 reads, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is why Jesus will reconcile all things to himself justly. All mankind has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The very glory that we have been staring into about Jesus himself in our Colossians passage this morning. Because of this, mankind is separated from God in their sin, and we are desperate for a Savior to reconcile us. Jesus is the Savior, the only Savior. If you would repent of your sin and trust in the finished work of Christ, the blood he shed for his people to be saved from their sin, then he will be your Savior. Jesus took the place of sinners like you and me and gave his life to pay a ransom we owe for our sin. Just think about this. If you were created by him and for him, and if he is causing every beat of that heart in your chest to beat, and you deny him all your life, you are owed the wrath of God. You were made for a purpose, is to bring him honor, to enjoy him forever. Hear me now. I plead with you to listen. If you have not turned to him, do so while he is yet sustaining you. Trust in him. Turn from sin. Realize this, that there will come a day when all creation will bow their knee to him as Lord. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not, account, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbly took on flesh, a real human nature, and he obeyed God's law perfectly so that he could die in the place of sinners to reconcile them to himself in his great love. Don't leave here today an enemy of God. There will be a day when you will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord as you are either sent into eternal punishment for not trusting in him in this one life or as you are welcomed into his new creation as a beloved child. My prayer for you is that you would trust him now so that you do not see him as an enemy on this day, 
of judgment. For the believers, consider how these beautiful truths about our great Lord and Savior should cause us to well up in worship of him. They should permeate all of our life. We were made by him. We are sustained by him. Every beat of our hearts, by him and for him. We have been mercifully saved by Jesus, and so we get to enjoy that unity now. I want to close our time by reading just a few more verses from this Colossians passage where we've spent the majority of our time this morning. Colossians 1, 21 through 23. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Christian, you and I were once alienated by our sin. We were once hostile in mind toward our creator and sustainer. We once lived and walked in evil deeds, but Jesus has reconciled us through his sacrificial death to present us holy and blameless above reproach before him. So do not be swayed by false teachings and the craziness of the world around you, but continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. Do not shift from the hope of the gospel. Jesus is on the throne. This world is not out of control as it may seem at times. Our Lord is ruling and reigning. He is sustaining everything, every second, and he will accomplish all his holy will. God never fails. What do you have to turn to but Christ Jesus? I pray that these truths would cause us to will up with worship for our Lord. I pray that these truths would give us a rock-solid foundation upon which to stand. I pray most of all that these truths would turn your eyes from your circumstances to the Lord who reigns sovereignly over all things and that you would obey him and worship him alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for our time together this morning. for the finished work of Jesus that allows us to be a part of your blood-bought family. For your work in regenerating dead hearts to life, that none of us, no believer here, would be a believer apart from your work and your work alone. We're so thankful. Thankful for what you've done. Thankful for your grace and your mercy. I pray that we would leave here just thinking about these truths, about Jesus, about who he is, about what he's done, and just leave here and worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.